Think Humanities, a podcast for people who love history, philosophy, culture, literature, civic dialogue, and the arts. Think Humanities from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 47 years. Here's your host, Bill Goodman. Does space travel and the humanities have anything in common? According to Chris Kimmel, the answer is yes. Kimmel is the co-founder and chairman of Space Tango. Beginning in the labs of Kentucky Space, Twyman Clements, a graduate student at the time, partnered with then Kentucky Science and Technology Corporation CEO Chris Kimmel to begin Space Tango, located in downtown Lexington, Kentucky. Space Tango facilitates research and manufacturing in microgravity environment, space, from design and implementation for biomedical and technological applications. But Kimmel's thinking about space goes far beyond the work being done at the Space Tango facility. Kimmel is asking big questions about the relationship between space, science, technology, and the implications on us as humans. Kimmel is asking, what does it mean to be human? What role might the humanities play in helping us spacefaring people sustain themselves and their humanness? Thus, the Space Humanities Initiative was born. It is an interdisciplinary group of people in the humanities, space business, and exploration dedicated to addressing and better preparing us for the continued expansion of human civilization into space or living in space. And Chris, great to have you on the Think Humanities podcast. Thank you very much for having me. So these, uh, you do ask the big questions, and these are questions that I would uh, dare say that not uh, all humans uh, arise in the morning thinking about, but, but you did. How did this, the genesis of this Space Humanity Seminar, uh, the thinking that you've applied to it, the work you've done for the last six, seven, eight months, and maybe for your lifetime. How did, the, how did it begin? Well, certainly through being involved with Space Tango and prior to that, Kentucky Space, um, um, which actually was started about 2005, 2006, Kentucky Space, and then morphed into Space Tango, a for-profit company, about four or five years ago. Um, certainly through that work, um, I'm kind of um, enmeshed on a daily basis in space and space space issues and things like that, and we interact a lot with NASA and interact with astronauts, uh, et cetera, as we prepare and launch missions to the International Space Station. So we think a lot about these things. And I, I guess you know, part of it was as we, uh, as we basically accelerate, and I think we are accelerating, our, our move back to the moon and then on to Mars for people like Elon Musk and NASA and um, Jeff Bezos and others, um, you know, there's, there's people are thinking more and more about the actual uh, transition to a space-faring civilization, even though in many respects we already are space-faring uh, civilization, and we've been in space since the, the 60s, uh, we've been to the moon, uh, we've had people living and working in space on the International Space Station for over a decade, and really the robots on Mars are simply an extension of, of humans uh, onto Mars, and so the, you know they're, they're designed and programmed by us as humans. So We've we've been you know we've been in space for a while and as that accelerates, most of the time we focus you know on two big issues. One is propulsion systems and how we're going to get there and how we're going to get back as fast as we can and as safely as we can. And the secondly, how we stay alive. You know, issues regarding radiation and other kinds of things that keep people you know keep us alive as we make these journeys, which are obviously very important. Um, 
But when you're talking about deep space, when you're talking about going out of low Earth orbit or even beyond the moon, you're talking about going to Mars where it's a you know, five to seven month journey and then you're going to live there and you're really serious about that. Uh, one of the big questions we don't t talk that much about is how do we stay human? How do we maintain our humanity as people when we are, basically we separate ourselves from billions of years of evolution, leaving the planet uh, and going into a literally new world in which everything we have known as humans culturally, socially, psychologically, biologically is suddenly changed and altered and, and we, we're separated from. And as we start, as you know, Bill, you were one of the first people that I talked to uh, when I just kind of things sprang in my mind. You were in, in, you know, we had this conversation with Tom Martin over at coffee at, at, uh, in Lexington. And we, um, you know, and at that time it was just like, I wasn't sure it was a good, you know, good idea, a really stupid idea. So I, and we started talking about it and we all kind of got engaged and we had a series of conversations and it kind of evolved to the point where it's like, we all felt like, well, maybe this is something we ought to try to pull some together and get a conversation going. So that's kind of how, how it evolved. And, and I will say that, you know, uh, as we started to, to try to pull this idea together and, and talk to people around the country, including people at NASA, the response we got was was uh, to a single person always very positive. Yeah, that's the interesting thing about it. Uh, for, uh, for a broader audience, now you might not, uh, I said uh, rather facetiously that the people don't get up in the morning and uh, think about this, but, but some people do and some people have. It's just never been presented to them in a way that they could come to a a seminar. Right. Uh, this one is uh, on October the 3rd at the University of Kentucky. And if you want more information on it, um, I'm going to give you a uh, an email address for Chris. It is kkimmel, K-I-M-E-L, kkimmel at spacetango.com. And if you don't get that on the podcast, uh, we'll have it here in the office. But um, so you began to think more about this and you began to to talk to other people outside of uh, of Kentucky and, yes. and outside of the university and 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 the reaction was it was very interesting it was it was one of those things where um, as i talked to people as we talked to people about it um, the reaction was always gee i hadn't really thought much about that but i think we should this is pretty important, and I'm talking again. You know, again, a lot of people from all different disciplines, from from space exploration to astronauts, uh, to um, you know, physicists, uh, poets, artists, dancers, you name it. As part of this collection of people for, that we're going to be meeting with, it was it was just this kind of yeah, that's something that we should. That is really important because getting there is one thing, but sustaining ourselves and maintaining our humanity, assuming that's important. Uh, uh, is you know is is not going to be easy. It's going to be very 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 difficult, and you know again we're not even sure it's possible. Today, what do we know about the long term implication implications of being in space or living in space? Um, you know we know we know a lot more than we did obviously in 20, 30, 40 years ago, but there's still a lot we don't know. Um, we certainly know the effects of relatively short-term space flight. Um, and I consider, you know, I mean, certainly going to even, even the recent twins, twin study that NASA did um, with the Kellys was for a year. Um, and so we know a lot about that. And that's certainly know a lot of information about how, you know, uh, microgravity and other related things in space affect us physically and bones and muscles and and, and, and they're finding new things all the time that um, are problematic. Uh, 
but we really, but beyond that, when you start talking about, uh, you know, going off the planet for, you know, uh, years at a time, uh, whether it's even on the moon or deep space into Mars, there's, we really don't know uh, very much at all, really, definitively, about whether, what the impact is, is that going to be on people, both physically and, again, psychologically. You know. The question that I ask you, that you have asked, oh, what does it mean to be human? How do you answer that? Um, you know, it's interesting. I don't know that I have a good answer. I mean, I have, I think that's part of the thing. It's one of those things where you sit back and you start to think about it and you go, gosh, what does that mean to be human? Uh, and um, I, I think we, you know, we certainly talk about um, um, things like empathy and consciousness and, um, you know, all those kinds of things that, that we might think about. But the question is, what is it really, you know, what are we, what are we trying to make, is it important for us as we venture out to the stars to expand, maintain and expand that humanity? And, and again, what, and again the, other, the other part of that question is, you know, if you think about what it is to be human, is not all good. Um, there's a lot of things about our humanity and humanness in the past that are, you know, have been quite dangerous. I mean, if you look at exploration historically, um, it oftentimes hasn't worked out very well for uh, either the people doing the exploring or the, oftentimes for the exploration process itself. And so that's something you have to be concerned about as well. Not only the good part, say, well, we're, you know, we're going to hopefully do good and this will be for the benefit of, of, of uh, life, uh, whatever, but there's also the downside that you've got to think about as well. One of the um, interesting processes uh, in in my own thoughts about it, uh, and you touched on it just a moment ago, what are the, um, and I think you said robots, but what are the robots or the bots? Uh, what are they programmed to do when, when they are sent out um, to explore or if they have landed in a particular area. Of course, all of that, and that sort of opens up AI. And uh, behind all of that, at least at the present time, to my knowledge, uh, there is a human. Exactly. And, and the human is programming. I mean, it's a very simple sort of equation for me to understand. The, the human is programming uh, the experiments and the thought pro that the bot is going through. Exactly. So how much do you think we're, and this is part of what you're doing in Space Humanity Seminar, uh, how much should those, should the future be concentrated on a humanities element uh, in space with the bots and, and what they're programmed to do, as well as uh, how to live there, what you eat there, uh, how you sleep there, so forth. Do you believe that that in the future, the humanities need to play a bigger role in what we're doing in space. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, and I think it'll, I think when you talk, you hear sometimes when you talk personally with a lot of the astronauts, a lot of them have already kind of have, have um, uh, thought a lot about that. I can't remember which astronaut it was, but they asked him what the experience was like, and he said he, they should have sent a poet. Mm -hmm. um, so a recognition of that. Um, but I think. Again, historically, the humanities, arts, uh, music, philosophy, 
uh, all those things um, have played a central role in the evolution of humans on Earth. I mean, every time we've ventured on our, beyond our borders, it's you know, art has influenced that process. Uh, music has been influenced. That's why you know, if you go around the world, it's all these different expressions of music and art, et cetera, et cetera. Just think about history, yeah, um, which is such a big part of what we do at Kentucky Humanities. But the history of space, as you just mentioned a few minutes ago, is only a few years old. Yeah. I mean, it's it just it's yeah. so so tiny. And relative, think about it. The first the first uh, the first communications that we really have, have were probably cave drawing cave drawings. <laughs> so, in a sense, art <laughs> yeah. was one of the very very earliest yeah. things that humans used uh, as a device. So you're not out to, uh, at the Space uh, Humanity Seminar, uh, you're not out to, to prove anything or to um, dispel uh, anything. Uh, through the participants that you've invited in, um, what are you, what is the best outcome? And, and I want that to be an introduction of, of uh, you telling me about some of the people who are going to be in attendance. Yeah, the great thing about this conversation, one, is there's no right or wrong answer, um, which makes it interesting and fun. Um, uh, uh, and so I think what we want to get out of it is, first of all, that this seminar is going to be, is structured to be a conversation. It's not a conference in traditional sense. There's not going to be people giving up and getting up and giving 30-minute talks and then five minutes of questions. Uh, it's going to be, uh, first of all, it's being moderated by Matt Kaplan, who is the producer of Planetary Radio for the Planetary Society, uh, who will be here to, to moderate, and he's helping people to get the, put together the agenda. Uh, and so it's going to be a conversation among all these different players who, in a sense, will certainly have, certainly have structure, but are on equal footing. So it's not going to be like, okay, well, now we're going to talk about the humanities for an hour, and the humanities people get to talk about this. Uh, these topics will be introduced, and everyone, whether you're a physicist or you're a, you're a, uh, uh, an artist or a poet or an astronaut, you know, you're going to have an opportunity to to comment because I think that's what's important is getting all these different perspectives and and not pigeonholing pigeonholing people. So I think you know, realistically, we're not going to solve this, you know, make in in six hours or seven hours of the, this event. But I think at the end of the day, we hope, uh, if nothing else. That we maybe come out with some very very interesting questions, uh, maybe coming up with the right questions, and how do we begin? How do we frame this a little bit better? How do, should we think about this? Is it is, is it possible to think about um, how do we prepare ourselves for those journeys, um, both as, as a whole and individually? Um, uh, you know, so I think that's. I don't know if I mentioned earlier. Uh, you know, we've uh, got a couple of firms. Collaborating Pinnacle Productions and Cosmic Perspective out of Florida, um, they're going to be videoing the entire process. So we have all the raw footage, and they're going to produce a couple of programs from that. So I think that you know that that conversation, those those um, impromptu moments, probably will be some of the more interesting things that happen. So I think at the end of the day, hopefully it'll be it'll be you know be challenging. It'll be it'll be substantive, uh, and we we come out with some maybe interesting questions and perhaps from some next steps or things that that um, Everybody agrees should be looked at in more in more detail or perhaps researched. Tell me about some of the people that uh, are confirmed and and, uh, and will be here in uh, at the University of Kentucky on October third, uh, the Space Humanities Seminar, uh, an outgrowth of the Space Humanities Initiative, uh, and again information uh, for this. Uh, 
kkimmel, K-I-M-E-L, at spacetango.com. Well, we have a really interesting mix of people from all around the country uh, that are coming, and um, it, it's... Um, uh, we reached out to each of these people individually and, again, to make sure they're of their interest. And it includes everybody from Bill Goodman uh, to uh, Michelle Lucas, who Michelle's an engineer who's the president and CEO of Higher Orbits Space Company. Uh, but she also, for 10 years, trained astronauts at, at NASA. Um, Sandy Goldberg, who's a former U.K. professor, is now a professor of philosophy at Northwestern University in Chicago. Uh, Sukitu Babasar, an astrophysicist at Cal Poly, and director of the Kellogg Honors Program there. Um, uh, Dan Sinkle, who used to be with uh, uh, SpaceX, uh, is is going to be, is going to be the Dean Raider with the University of San Francisco, who's an award-winning poet. I think he just won he just won a big award for poetry, a national award recently. Uh, Aaron Kreitz, who's an artist, a theater artist and dancer, uh, who's going to be talking about the role of dance and play. Uh, it's also the vice president of an organization um, called Clowns Without Borders, uh, and it's an organization that goes into parts of the world that are um, where young people, children in particular, are under very stressful situations to use dance and humor and play as a way of of, of bringing some a little bit of happiness into their into their lives. Um, Scott Solomon uh, is a is an evolutionary biologist um, from Rice University. He's done a lot of work in thinking about the feature of evolution uh, when people begin to leave the planet, the effects that that will have on people. And uh, he's got some really interesting um, ideas about, the, you know, the, that whole process. And so he'll be talking about, you know, how, 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 this, how us becoming a, a space-faring civilization may affect us from an evolutionary standpoint, at least those people, um, um, you know, that are, that are into it. Because um, of procreativity. Well, because of that, but, but just, uh, uh, yeah, because of that, but just how we evolve, you know, how we evolve. I mean, we, we know from, you know, we know from already from, from astronauts that have been in space that a lot of things change. And some of those things, there's been, you know, issues with, you know, um, bone deterioration and muscle and uh, also things. There's also been relatively recently, in the last couple of years, some, some real serious issues with, um, with the eyes and the optic nerve and, retinas and things like that from so there's a lot of things that that you know how the body will adapt and what that will what that will mean um also nicole stott who's an, a former astronaut actually she's an artist and former astronaut um uh Lori proven with the international space station liz swanson who's an artist and, and also an architecture professor at uk um, and so it's going to be um uh phil, phil kramer and psychologist at uk um nat Irvin, who's at uvl who's actually a futurist um June Sargent from San Francisco, who's a brand builder, marketing person, and a brand builder. Um, so it's again, it's going to be um, an interesting mix of. Uh, I may, may have mentioned Greg Schmidt, who's director of the NASA Solar System Exploration Institute in California. Uh, it's, so it's going to be an interesting mix of space professionals, NASA, uh, private sector people. Uh, Joel Sersel, who's going to be there, is actually he's a CEO of an asteroid mining company out in the West Coast. Uh, along with artists and dancers and all these other kinds of people, all joining together to kind of offer their various perspectives on on some of these issues. So, um, again, we've got people coming from literally all over the country um, that will be here for uh, coming into Lexington uh, for a day and a half for this event. Tell us uh, that story that I know uh, uh, from about Story Musgrave, mm -hmm. um, Kentuckian and and uh, astronaut, former astronaut or astronaut. You're always an astronaut. Um, and how he trained for one of his trips. 
Yeah, um, it's interesting. Um, I heard this from Mary Liz Bender. Mary Liz is um, used to be the planetary society just left, and is now she's now um, working with Cosmic Perspective, and um, as a kind of a I would call her a space entrepreneur, doing amazing things, and has been. Uh, one of the leaders putting together the Space Humanity Seminar. Uh, and she and I were talking. We, we, we both know Story Musgrave fairly well. And she mentioned to me recently, and Story's been involved in this discussion as well, um, which I had not heard, is that, of course, Story was the one who repaired the Hubble te uh, telescope in space with extended spacewalks. And she mentioned to me that, that uh, he had told her that one of the ways he prepared for that was he went and took ballet lessons, um, thinking that the actual the technique of ballet uh, would be be useful to him as he prepared for these extended spacewalks and actually doing you know work in space, which I thought was really kind of very very interesting, and I wasn't aware of that about him. And you do have um, at least an indication from a couple of other astronauts uh, that might join you by video conference, if uh, or at least on yeah. Tape. Every, the people I've mentioned, like Nicole and Story and and uh, others, are are a part of the initiative. They've already and um, they're going to try to be there um, if they're out of town. Um, you know, they, some of them may when one's going to be in, in Paris, I'm not sure, but they're going to actually we're going to do a probably a five minute video ahead of time. Uh, with them responding to some of the specific questions, so we at least get their perspective on these things. Uh, a couple of the questions that you sent me in, in an email um, are provocative uh, and and worth uh, discussion, probably on that uh, day uh, at the University of Kentucky. And you wrote, in addition to the technology needed for travel and survival in space, what else would be required for humans to live long and prosper? And those are in quotation marks. Right. So apparently, you borrowed that from from someone. Oh yeah, Star Trek. Uh, so living long and prospering, not on a fictional television uh, right. show. It was fiction, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah. Um, how, how do you answer that in a in a in a real world? Yeah. Well, I think the psychology of space. I mean, it, the whole issue of when you take people and you you know again you separate them from billions of years of evolution for very long periods of time. We don't really have any experience. We have we have we have some experience with that. Obviously, people that have been confined. Um, uh, even um, I've had some conversations with people that you know, for example, submarine commanders um, with nuclear subs, which say submerged for months at a time, is probably although it may just be three or four months, is is you know somewhat of a. Uh, a, a somewhat of an experience like this. And I just actually heard this morning in a conversation uh, with um, uh, an um, anthropologist uh, who's coming to the seminar talking about how a lot of interesting research has been done on Eskimos who have to spend enormous periods of time in, in, in igloos, and it's very confining. So those are some, but we have nothing, to, nothing to, to, that's anywhere close to what we would be experiencing with, with space exploration. So the question of social interactions, the question of how do, you stay, how do you stay sane and stable, one of the issues we're going to be talking about at this, which is really interesting, is what are you going to eat? And when we talk about eat, not just how do you stay, you know, how do you consume the right nutrients, but food. Dr. Timothy Harlan, uh, who's a doctor and a chef, an MD, uh, who runs the Center for Culinary Medicine at uh, Tulane University, is going to be here. Uh, and one of the things he, you know, he talks about is that food is, aside from that, food has been an essential part of human existence and, and culture and social life uh, forever. And not only is it, you know, not only is it, you know, how you consume, but the color of the food, is it palatable, uh, diversity, 
Um, you know, food is very social. People eat in groups. And so it's, it's um, you, know, you can't, you know, uh, if you've, you know, you've seen The Martian, uh, it's hard to imagine living on baked potatoes for 10 years or tofu on toast. And so that's one of the things, too, that you don't, you know, we don't think much about. But actually the issue, and of course, when you're going those kinds of distances, you can't take anything with you. Um, so you can't take, well, you know, we're going to take a thousand pounds of beef or whatever. And you're going to have to be very, very innovative and very creative in what you're going to be able to, to, um, produce, to consume. Certainly you might be able to have greenhouses and, and produce certain kinds of vegetables and fruits and other kinds of things. But, but again, um, it's going to be very, um, if we all think about food in our own lives, I mean, we all eat two or three times a day and, and, you know, we go out to dinner with friends and all those kinds of things. And that's going to be, you know, that's something we don't think a whole lot about. The other big issue, which has come up in a lot of these discussions I've had individually with people, is we're not even sure, you talk about, you know, uh, space colonization. Um, really, we have no really strong, strong sense of whether humans can even safely reproduce in space in a microgravity environment. And um, that's, a, that's a big one. I mean, if you can't, if you're talking about colonizing another planet and you can't safely reproduce... Um, that's going to be a, a, a pretty big impediment. So we've got to we got to look at that uh, and try to understand is that in fact you know is that true? How would we do that? How would we overcome that? Um, some of the people that are involved in this, including Story Musgrave, who have had conversations with this, uh, don't believe, for example, believe that the humans that will ultimately inhabit these other um, deep space like Mars, other than for short visits, will perhaps not be the humans that are on Earth. They may be bioengineered differently uh, in order to survive um, those under those conditions for any period of time. So they are, I, they are human. They're humans, but they've been perhaps bioengineered uh, a little bit differently uh, in order to be um, to survive, be able to survive in those kinds of hostile environments for long periods of time. Um, you know, for example, exposure to radiation. I mean, that's a big issue with people. So it may be that, um, you know, there's, again, not talking, I don't know about specifics, but in some sense that, that uh, maybe, a, you know, 500 years from now, the people living on Mars are human, uh, but they're not the humans that are on Earth. Mm. And perhaps if, you've, if you think about this, if you've lived, if that's true, then it may be that once you're, once you've, you're on Mars that you can no longer live on Earth, if, again, for extended periods. Is there a library at the space station? Uh, I don't know. You know, I know the astronauts can bring a lot of things with them. I'm assuming some of them bring books and, you know, things like that. But I don't know that there's a, 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 a actually a library on station, or any, whether it's audio or visual books. I don't know. Don't That's a good you question. Think there should be? Absolutely. Uh, Chris Kimmel uh, is uh, heading up uh, the Space Humanity uh, Seminar, uh, the Space Humanities Initiative, on October 3rd uh, at the University of Kentucky. It just sounds uh, extraordinary, Chris, and congratulations to you for all of the work, and I know you've put in many hours uh, to put this together. But as we close out, why don't you, for many people who don't uh, aren't familiar with Space Tango, just give us a, uh, a brief overview of what you do and what's being done right here in Lexington and has been going on for several years. Sure. Well, Space Tango, when I give talks off and say Space Tango is a research design and manufacturing company, we just don't do work on the planet Earth. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, our work is basically we have two laboratories that we have designed and are permanently installed on the International Space Station. And those laboratories hold uh, smaller 
um, laboratories in a sense or experiments that we can do in a variety of areas. Um, everything from we've done work in, in a lot of plant biology, um, looking at how plants change, particular certain plants that are working with Joe Chappelle at UK, a drug designer, looking at how certain plants that are the basis for certain chemo drugs uh, might alter their chemistry to maybe to make them enhance their effectiveness. Uh, we've done work with stem cells. We've got a, um, a, a big project we're doing now with the National Stem Cell Foundation on Parkinson's and MS, actually the missions in space as we speak, University of San Diego. Um, so we've got uh, a, a lot of private companies. Uh, actually, we've done work with Budweiser, a company called Lambda, Pharma, uh, Lambda Vision, uh, so there's a, it's a variety of companies and, and organizations, including NASA, that we, we design and build uh, and put missions in space. Again, we launch about six times a year, primarily on SpaceX. Um, and what, we're do, what we basically do is we put these things in space to try to understand, to use the, the physics environment of microgravity to, ge- to reach a deeper understanding of how these systems work from a biomedical and those that are materials with the idea that by, by doing that and by putting them in that environment, which in the case of living things puts them under stress, um, we oftentimes, ha- people, others, have seen things uh, transpire that you wouldn't see on Earth. I mean, for example, we did a, we've done a project with Tufts University on regenerative medicine where we put a series of uh, a group of planarian flatworms uh, in space for those of you who um, didn't sleep through high school science like I did will remember that planarian flatworms are that when you... you dissect them they grow heads back and tails back and their midsections grow heads and tails and we put those in space because it's their major focus for regenerative medicine and when they came back the people at the research lab at tufts got them back and analyzed them and saw some interesting things and one of the things that they saw was quite interesting is that they hadn't expected is that one of the midsections had grown two heads and the offspring had two heads there's actually a, a there's actually a juried uh, article mm-hmm. now published about that mm-hmm. about that research and then secondly, so that gives you a better understanding uh, and perhaps you can, into how those systems operate, maybe you can trigger some changes yeah. on Earth, but also the possibility of bioengineering new products in space. And you're doing all of that work from right here in Lexington. Yes. And um, uh, your facility is uh, near downtown, yep. uh, is in downtown. Uh, um, and you're also, uh, tell us real quickly about uh, CBD, uh, about <laughs> uh, uh, hemp and... Uh, uh, the oil that's being produced in, in, in that experiment. Uh, wh- where are you on that? Yeah, one of the we got very interested last year in the biomedical qualities of CBD. Um, obviously, it's been in the news a great deal. Hemp, of course, hemp is the non-psychoactive um, part, of, part of hemp part or of the, part of uh, cannabis. cannabis it's actually called cannabis, CTBL. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and we became very interested and began doing some 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 experiments in that area on uh, here locally some research, and again wanted to understand uh, how microgravity might affect uh, change or enhance the um, uh, CBD or other cannabinoids. Many people don't understand there's or don't realize there's actually over a hundred cannabinoids, uh, and we only can out and access with any degree of accuracy in volume two, which is THC, THC, and CBD. Um, so we actually have Why put is together. That, by the way. Um, you know, I think it just has to do, I think, I don't know, really know, but I think it has to do some with just, they can access some, but the volume is very low uh, with certain things. And I think it just, it's it's not that we won't be able to do it, you know, 10 years from now. But um, also the possibility that the microgravity environment may 
trigger some of those gene expressions, et cetera, that we don't see on Earth that could change that. And again, we're very interested. Uh, and so we actually put, uh, we flew a mission on SpaceX 18 uh, in the spring of this year. Uh, we put, or late winter, well, we put um, uh, a kilogram of seeds that, that are alive for our first experiment in space. We brought them back. We've done some initial analysis. They're now planted out. Uh, they're growing when they get to a certain level of maturity. In the next month or so, uh, we'll be doing a, a full profile um, of chemistry and genetics and everything on the uh, on the um, the biology, the hemp plant biology, uh, with an eye toward um, the effects of that and if we might be able to elicit or evoke a seed, some things that are evoked that could enhance the um, CBD or related um, related aspects. And you are looking at the, uh, at, there's a very real possibility that uh, zero gravity has uh, confused or uh, exacerbated the, 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 the chemical makeup right. of... Yeah, every, we, when you leave the mic, when you leave the, the the environment of gravity on Earth, basically all fun, you know all physical biological systems are scrambled, um, and so um, that can you know that leads to a lot of questions. People often ask, and this is very much a frontier, by the way. Uh, people always ask me a lot of times, or ask us, Twyman uh, Clemens, some of the staff, at, uh, if we're doing an experiment, what do you expect to see? And, and most of the time, our answer is we don't know. Um, because it's maybe only been done once before. In most cases, it hasn't been done at all. But yes, that scrambling process, that, that reconfiguration of the biology, or in the case of materials, um, you know, is uh, the assumption is, and we've seen this, we, we're see, we've seen signs of this already, and other researchers who have done this work, could lead to uh, new insights and ultimately uh, new applications, uh, new products, new applications, whether they be treatments for certain diseases, drugs, new kinds of materials for use on Earth. Mm-hmm. Well, it's uh, it's all pretty fascinating. Uh, what you're doing on uh, October third, and and what you're doing at Space Tango, more people should know about it. Uh, that was Chris Kimmel, co-founder and chair of Space Tango uh, in Lexington, Kentucky, and also the uh, you don't have a title, chief facilitator, a, a director of, uh, CEO of uh, Space <laughs> Humanity uh, at um, uh, the first. Let's call it the first annual, maybe, or something? You know, I don't know if it would be annual, but I think there'll literally be more. It's clear that there'll be something coming out of this, more discussion. So it could be the first annual, yeah, or something like that. Very good. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Think Humanities is a podcast from Kentucky Humanities, where we have been telling Kentucky's stories for 47 years. Think Humanities is available at kyhumanities.org, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Join us next week for a new episode of Think Humanities.